Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. The disciples had left. They were out expanding the work of Jesus by getting the message of the kingdom out to as many towns as possible. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent! But Jesus didn't just sit back like some CEO at the top of the food chain while his minions went out and told everyone about the gospel. No. Matthew says Jesus continued to preach, teach, and heal in the towns the disciples had gone out to. He continued moving in them and helping the people in those towns and shepherding the people as as the disciples came either ahead of him or behind him. He was out there working, healing, taking care of people dejected and confused and rejected and as a sheep without shepherd. And he's out there doing the work of the Messiah. And his disciples are also doing the work of the Messiah, healing and casting out demons. And so in all those towns, the disciples and Jesus are working to get out the good news of the gospel. Well, in Matthew 11, we see one day Jesus, while he was out teaching, preaching and healing and casting out demons and doing the work of the Messiah, some disciples of John the Baptist came up to him with a private message from John. You know, I can imagine they motioned Jesus to come over or probably because of the press of the crowd, they had to come up to Jesus and pull him aside. And they said, John wants to know this. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Matthew 11, verse 3. That was the question John the Baptist asked. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John seems to have doubts, which just seems odd. John the Baptist doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah? Well, I will admit, if you were in John's position, you probably would have doubts as well. See, John was stuck in prison and had probably been stuck there for over a year. See, John had spoken out against the king, against King Herod taking for his wife a woman still married to someone else. The happy couple was together and acting all like husband and wife, king and queen, or king and king's consort, or whatever. The happy couple together. Well, John the Baptist... He spoke up. He spoke truth to power, as we like to say today. He said, this is not right. I don't care how many people seem happy. I don't care how much the media makes it out, how great it is. This is not right. John the Baptist spoke out. He said, this was wrong. For speaking out, John the Baptist got arrested. Now, to be thrown into prison in Jesus' day was not like being thrown into prison today. I mean, there was no sense that the prisoners had any rights, any right to avoid cruel and unusual punishment. No rights for the prisoners back then. Instead, John was probably in some dark, dank hole in the wall somewhere underground, left to rot in the hole of a prison. Or, sadly, when he wasn't left to rot, he probably was trotted out for the king to mock at parties. and I know that because later on, people mock John at a party. 
Now, John's not at that party when he's mocked, but probably the king would drag him out as some sort of display thing to make fun of him. Or maybe they flogged him with whips, and maybe they withheld food. I mean, it was just a terrible plight to be a prisoner, to be persecuted physically, and then to just spend your nights in a shivering cold hole in the ground. I mean, the king could do whatever he pleased. And it pleased the king to ignore John the Baptist. Well, after a year of this, I'm sure you'd get tired of it, right? You'd probably get discouraged and physically run down and spiritually just disappointed, discouraged. And, and maybe you begin to wonder, where is God in all this? And, and specifically, where is where's Jesus? I wonder if John the Baptist thought, I'm related to Jesus. I know he's the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah and he is God, how come he hasn't come to rescue me? How come he hasn't taken me out of this prison or given me some sort of solace or comfort? Or how come he hasn't done something? You know, why isn't Jesus pulling me out of my predicament? Why isn't Jesus helping me? I've been in prison for over a year and isn't the Messiah supposed to change the world? Why is he not overthrowing the Roman government? Maybe he thought that. I think these questions began to make John doubt. Is Jesus real? Is he really God? Is he really the Messiah? I just want to say, do you blame John? I've been there. I've been there for sure. You ask yourself, why am I still suffering? Why am I still waiting for God to move? Why am I waiting and waiting and waiting for God to heal, for God to give me a job, for God to move in my life, for God to save a relative, for God to move in my predicament? And you just wait and you wait and you wait and the sky seems silent when you pray, doesn't it? Waiting is so hard, especially for John the Baptist. He is suffering and he's in pain. And some of you are too, maybe with medical needs and you're still waiting for God's healing or God's comfort. Or you wonder where in the world is God in the middle of your suffering? It's so hard to wait, isn't it? But I just want to say the Bible is full of people who had to wait. Abraham had to wait 75 years to see his prayers answered before he got to see Isaac. 75 years. God says, though, you are blessed if you properly wait. Isaiah 64, verse 4. No eye has seen, no ear has heard any God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Or Isaiah 40, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or Isaiah 49, but Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. 
Those are promises God gives to his children, to those of you who are in this terrible position of waiting. But I just want to say it's not terrible. It doesn't have to be, right? And John, in the middle of his waiting in this terrible prison, should be encouraged to not give up. And we're the same. If you've been waiting for an answer from God and you start to feel like you start to feel like John, well, that maybe your discipleship or maybe following Jesus isn't really worth it. Maybe it's all been a big old fake and you start to doubt. I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep waiting. God has a plan. He is in control. And he's going to use this period of waiting in your life to change you to make you holier, to make you stronger. He's doing his work. Just wait and trust in him. Well, the disciples come with this question. You know, Jesus, are you really the one or should we wait for someone else? And and Jesus answers them with this. He says, go. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6. See, in his reply, Jesus uses two passages from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6, and Isaiah 61, verse 1. Both talk of the Messiah, and that when he comes... He will heal, and he'll make the deaf hear, and he'll tell the good news of the kingdom. Jesus, in using these passages from Isaiah, wanted John to know that these passages are talking about the Messiah, and guess what? What it said about the Messiah is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. What an encouragement that must have been to John, right? But I wonder if it took away the questions. I don't think it did. You know, how come Jesus isn't rescuing me? Where is this judgment that the Messiah is supposed to bring? It seems like King Herod is getting away with his sin and Jesus is doing nothing about it. I I bet John had a ton of questions, even as he was being encouraged at the same time. Well, as the disciples of John the Baptist left Jesus... Jesus then goes on to tell the listening crowd who John the Baptist was. He was Elijah. This was the coming of Elijah prophesied by the prophet Malachi. And the prophet Malachi had said that one would come before the Messiah. And this person who came before the Messiah would make the path straight. And they'd make everything ready for the coming of Messiah. And so Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 10, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. That is what John the Baptist did. He is Elijah. And then Jesus goes on in this sermon to give one of the greatest compliments in all of Scripture. He says that, get this, no human being before or since is as great as John the Baptist. Wow. Now that is a statement. I mean, think about it. Jesus is saying John is better than Elijah, than Abraham, than Moses, than any of the prophets who went before him. 
Matthew 11, 11, Jesus says, no one born of woman is greater than John. But then Jesus adds this, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? I'm confused here, Jesus. So no one who has been born of women is greater than John the Baptist. But if I accept your teaching, join your kingdom, I am better than John? What are you saying? See, I, I think what Jesus is saying is that John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. And compared to them and anyone born during that time period, John is tops. Number one. Can't beat him. No one can beat him. But guess what? Now we have a new time period. And now that the Messiah is here, that new time period was inaugurated when Jesus arrived. And now that Jesus is here, if you accept this new kingdom, right? If you repent and follow Jesus, if you accept the new kingdom of God that Jesus is offering, if you say, I'm going to put my trust and believing loyalty on Jesus and I'm going to follow him, well, Jesus says you will be blessed way beyond anything John could have hoped for. And then he says, let anyone who has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone has ears to hear, let them listen. And that's key and that's crucial. If you feel your heart being tugged towards Jesus, wanting to follow him, don't ignore that. That's an ear wanting to hear the message of the kingdom. Because not everyone had these ears to hear. John is wondering where the judgment of the Messiah is. Where is this sense of Jesus setting things right? And what I want to say is Jesus is coming back and he will judge. But even during his time on earth, Jesus still judged men and women. And here is where the judgment of Jesus was found. Not everyone who hears had been given the spiritual insight to understand by Jesus. It says in Matthew eleven twenty seven that Jesus later on in the same sermon says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. If Jesus is not willing to reveal the spiritual wisdom of the Father to you, you'll never get it. And in that sense, you're being judged by God because Jesus is not allowing you to hear, to understand. But he's only giving you what you want, right? You didn't probably really want to understand in the first place. You wanted to do your own thing and you don't really care if you understand. Well, Jesus is not going to give you the ability to understand. Hey, I just want to say, we are now bumping into a big, huge theological debate. We call it Calvinism versus Arminianism or free will versus predestination. And I just want to say, I don't have time to get into it here. And all I can say is that in this sermon, part of it looks like Jesus is saying, Jesus, he determines who can comprehend the message of salvation. It seems to come down on the side of those who believe in predestination. But then later on, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened. He offers it to everyone at the end of his sermon. And so I think that's the best place to live. Yes, Jesus knows who are his. 
And without the sovereignty of God in my life, I would be very discouraged because I know God is in control. But I also firmly believe if you reject Jesus, if you've chosen to be separated from Jesus forever in hell, you chose it. You chose it. The Bible is clear. You can't blame Jesus for sin. You can't blame Jesus for being in hell. You chose to be there. And I just want to encourage you, if you have ears to hear, listen. Listen. Choose Jesus. Well, Jesus ends his sermon by basically telling the people off. And he tells the people in the surrounding cities especially off. He tells them they have been very, very bad. See, the people at this point in Jesus' see the people at this point in Jesus' ministry, sadly, the, the Galileans and all the people in those towns in that area, they seem to be rejecting the message of Jesus. They weren't repenting and calling Jesus Lord and becoming disciples of Jesus. And instead they refused to follow him. I think many of them wanted a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans, not preach repentance and and turning back to God. No. And in seeing this rejection, Jesus chastises them. It's a big word for tells them off. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. See, these are towns in that area. And he goes on to say, For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Matthew eleven twenty one through 24. See, in this little part, Jesus references three Gentile cities, cities that aren't Jewish. These cities weren't far away from where he was standing. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. They're they're near the Sea of Galilee's northwest shore. But he says these Jewish towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, these were Jewish residences. But he says they are in trouble compared, and he he goes on to mention Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. These were evil, evil Gentile cities, but Tyre and Sidon wasn't that far away, 35, 60 miles away. And Sodom, well, that was a bit away, about 100 miles away from where Jesus was speaking. And Jesus says these evil Gentile cities, if they'd had Jesus in them, if they'd seen the miracles, if they'd seen what Jesus was doing, these evil Gentile cities would have repented. But you evil Jewish cities, you continue to reject me and reject me and reject me. And someday on the day of judgment, it's going to be bad for you. And in saying this, Jesus is connecting these Jewish cities to the evil that these Gentile cities are doing. I mean, that is a condemnation. 
He's saying, you guys are bad because you're rejecting me and you're rejecting the kingdom I am bringing. And one day it's going to be worse for you. And it's going to be worse because they had the light. They had far more spiritual light than Sidon or Tyre or Sodom. They had very little spiritual light at that moment compared to Jesus standing right there in the middle of their city preaching, and you're not listening. That's why the judgment's going to be worst for these places. But then Jesus ends his sermon with one of the greatest statements of comfort ever given in Scripture. He just got done condemning these Jewish people for not repenting, for not following him. But he doesn't give up on them. He still leaves the door open. He still offers hope and healing at the end of his sermon when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I just want to say that call is still out there. And if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit upon your heart, to come to Jesus, to heed that call, to take Jesus' yoke. And what that means is a bar that would go across oxes' necks so they could pull a wagon or pull a plow together. But these things were heavy. And, of course, the owner of the ox would control the ox through this heavy wooden yoke. But Jesus says, in comparison, my yoke is easy. The burden you're going to have to pull is light. And if you feel that pull towards Jesus, guess what? The Son is revealing the Father to you right now. He's chosen to reveal the Father to you right now. Jesus says, no one can come to the Father but through me. He's revealing himself right now. Will you accept him? Will you listen to that voice and choose Jesus? Or will you be like the people in those cities sadly surrounding him who began to turn away from Jesus because they didn't like the message? They didn't want the kingdom he was offering. I hope today you heed his voice and that you choose Jesus. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.